Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we celebrate the little engines that could not. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rory. In today's very special episode, we welcome back one of my favorite guests, an Emmy winner and one of the most prolific filmmakers of all time, a director's a director, a director's director, I'll get it right here in a second, who has helmed over 160 movies. As for an exact number, he doesn't even know himself. More recently, he has written a fourth book on the movie business, writing the perfect Christmas TV movie, and he's joined me to talk about it. Please welcome the man who made the movie that your girlfriend is going to make you watch this Thanksgiving, Fred Olin Ray. How are you doing? I'm great, Fred. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Just uh, everything's going well in Florida. You survived the hurricane, it looks like. You know, we didn't we didn't get it. We didn't get it bad at all. Just some rain and some uh, some wind and we lost power a few times. But I oh, feel right. feel pretty lucky. We've uh, we've dodged every one of them here in Fort Lauderdale so far. So well, knock on wood. I hope that continues for you. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see, won't we? <laughs> so you've written yet another a book about filmmaking. Uh, most of the the other ones you've written are kind of a behind the scenes business side. This is more about the creative element of it, and uh, you're obviously qualified. This uh, let's see, this season makes your 16th TV Christmas movie, I believe. I think it's going to be 18. 18. Okay. Well, well, wait a minute. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's 18. Okay. All right. Are I, you by my by my own count? See, there's one Christmas movie that I made years ago that I don't put on my list because it was made uh, way before the Christmas movie TV phenomena and it wasn't right. made for television, but I did, I did make a movie called, um, it was called secret Santa at the time, but then it became my Santa and, or dear Santa it became dear Santa. Okay. And I made that for Andrew Stevens and then back in the nineties. So I thought, I, I don't put that on my list of Christmas movies. <laughs> Although it was a great, it was a great little movie, great little film. Cool. Yeah. When you're getting into these and I I've read the book and, uh, it's, I love your writing. We talked about this last time. You just have a certain whimsy as you write. So reading this was a breeze. Um, as as you were putting this all together and you're thinking about the construction of film, what part of the Christmas movie do you think is unique to the other films you've made, aside from it just being around a holiday? Well, most of the Christmas movies, as I pointed out in the book, a lot of Christmas movies could happen at any time of the year. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't actually use Christmas as a plot device as much as it is a backdrop. And it could have been Thanksgiving or the 4th of July or maybe no holiday at all. The, uh, the, the thing about Christmas movies is trying to find, you know, something unique in a, a genre that is rife with format and mm -hmm. formula. And um, so that's the challenge, I think, with each one is to try to find something new to, you know, to hang your uh, your your hat on. Right. And while still, you know, satisfying uh, the requirements that the viewer has in order to enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you feel a uh, as you're as you're coming up with those hooks and things, how much pressure do you put on yourself to make it unique, to make it your own? 
Well, you know, I have I I have my own personal things that I like to see in a movie. And sometimes they are at odds uh, with the people who uh, know better than me and are paying for these things. <laughs> and I'll do them anyway. Uh, or, you know, and then they'll like it. They'll they'll like it. And uh, one of the things that I like to do, which I I don't really watch a lot of my uh, co competitors uh, movies because mm -hmm. I don't want to be influenced by yeah. someone else's work. And in this genre, it would be very easy for people to point the finger and say that you cop this from this guy's movie or that guy's movie. So I don't watch other people's Christmas movies, but I enjoy a story where the couple uh, is at odds with each other from the very get-go, kind mm -hmm. of the Sam and Diane of Cheers right. sort of thing where the girl outwardly can't stand the guy. And, you know, you have to sort of have everybody warm up to each other and stuff as the story goes. I don't like a story where the girl's immediately uh, smitten uh, by the guy because mm -hmm. to me that feels like the journey is already over. Right. Um, at that at that point so some people don't agree with that and a lot of times i'll get notes and of course i write a lot of my own christmas movies right and i used to get notes from uh, networks and stuff saying well we're, it's not clear to us at which point they start falling in love and i said well that's a directorial thing and when you see the movie but that's not good enough obviously that's not right the answer. <laughs> they want to see a line in the script that says she she looks at him and realizes that this might develop into it. They want <laughs> you to get out on the page. And I always say, look, you will get this. You will get this. Right. It will be with nuance and it will build slowly and they will look at each other or someone will say something rude and turn away and then maybe smile just a little bit. Just don't hit them over the head with it. So, yeah. you know, there's all different types of uh, approaches for sure. The, a lot of rom-com movies end up being more about the the scheme for the two people to get together. It's usually one is scheming to get the other or, or whereas something like this you're talking about is a little more, it's still, I think would consider kind of a rom-com feel mm -hmm. to it, but it's less about the scheme and more about the human connection then. Yeah. Well, these are very, um, for the most part, there's there is some sort of factions that are breaking away and kind of creating new formulas. I was involved in one just a month ago. It feels like I just got home during my birthday. I was actually on set filming a new Christmas movie. <laughs> I was going to ask. I knew you were out that's, shooting. <laughs> that's two this year. Two this year. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it's very sort of innocent. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? The the romances in the Christmas movies they don't really happen the way like real romances right. uh, do, you know, because they're, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a journey. And for most people, and let's not fool ourselves. Most of these Christmas movies are female centric. Sure. They're made for women. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that's what like a lifetime women's thriller. That's why it's called a right. women's thriller. It's aimed at women. Uh, but for the most part, what we've discovered is that a lot of films are over when the hero finally kisses the girl. It's right. over. Everything after that is anticlimactic unless there's some giant problem to be resolved. Right. And so you don't have a making out or you don't have any of those scenes. 
you have some near misses usually. Right. Or someone will ask someone to dance and it looks like he might kiss her and then someone will interrupt them or the music right. will stop <laughs> or something. You want to preserve that moment. Mm-hmm. That moment where they tell each other that they're in love and have a, a kiss or whatever. You want to preserve that till the end of the movie because for most people, the movie is over at that point. Yeah. It's time to, roll, time to roll the credits. Right. So it is sort of a fairy tale esque uh, sort of uh, genre. Yeah. In, in as much as romance doesn't follow its normal progression. And I think that's helped a lot by the fact that, in, at least in most of my films that I try to do, the girl is standoffish and trying to keep the guy at an arm's length. It's never mm-hmm. the other way around. It's never, almost never, the girl pursuing the prince or pursuing a person. It's a woman that in the film are, are always sort of uh, pursued by the guy because you have to explain why a woman, because most of these the women are in their early to mid thirties. Mm-hmm. You have to explain why they're not already married or why they haven't been married before because they don't want divorces in most of these Christmas movies. Right. Uh, a widowed, a widowed, a widowed person would be okay, but it's just very, it just seems very specific, which is why, why you need a book. Right. <laughs> that tells you exactly what you need to know in order to, uh, put together uh, a plot and be mm-hmm. as close as you can to exactly what they're they're looking for. And my biggest advice to people, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't think you know better than everyone else does. They're the ones paying for it. They know what they're buying. Don't try to convince them that they need banana pudding frosting on a chocolate cake when they want chocolate frosting. <laughs> no, and don't think you're brilliant. You know, they said to me one time I, I walked in and they're doing the color correction. And I was looking at the movie and a producer turned to me and he said, Fred, he goes, I know it feels like you're making the same movie over and over again. But if you break the formula, it doesn't work. Right. And I said, I got it. Just point me toward the set, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And there is. It is. A, I mean, I think part of the appeal of like the Hallmark variety of films like this is that it is a little dated the the idea of the a woman in her 30s not married clutching pearls kind of thing it is outdated but it's also very sweet and it works perfectly as you say with this sort of formula it's a it's a moving romance novel that's that's mm-hmm. that's what it is and people don't want deep psychological problems or issues plaguing right. their heroine she's usually you know someone who is driven to keep a small business she has afloat and it takes mm-hmm. up all of her time or she's uh works for a big company where she's kind of lost in the chaos and no one seems to realize that she has a lot more to offer i mean it's the kind of things that people really go through mm-hmm. you know the kind of kind of problems and situations that's the trick here i think is to make the person watching the movie feel like that could be them or someone they know. Mm-hmm. And the romance is kept very simple. It is romance. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, it's it's uncomplicated. You know, you can throw complications into it like oh uh, a, a, a a sort of prearranged marriage from some other country where the 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 fiance that nobody wants 
shows up and throws a monkey wrench <laughs> into what could possibly be a great relationship. Um, but you know, that's what that's what makes these movies tick. You know, it's mm-hmm. the ups ups and downs and and a happy ending. You know, yeah, happy ending. Who who doesn't want a happy ending at Christmas? Time? Right. Yeah. You know. Are do you? Then, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and I was just going to say the Lifetime Women's Thriller is the same idea, but it's in the reverse. You want to make the film about the uh, same thing, probably a, a woman in her 30s, mid-30s, but she can have children, or but she's divorced or the husband's dead or whatever it is. But what she wants in life is not simple romance. What she wants in life is to protect her territory. Mm-hmm. to protect her way of life or protect her daughter, you know, very, very basic uh, things, you know, and so you have what you, what you have in a Christmas movie are people who are trying to get what they desire at this thing. And in a lifetime thriller, it's the same energy being applied to uh, a different goal, survival, mm-hmm. uh, protection, yeah. Uh, that sort of thing. So, so, so that in both cases, the person watching the film could see themselves or someone else they know in this predicament. Right. As far as the production goes now, are you still shooting a lot of these up in Buffalo? No, we'll shoot them wherever. Uh, we like Buffalo because we have a good relationship with the film commission there and the mayor, mm-hmm. who's a wonderful person. And Buffalo is one of those places where you can almost guarantee that if you go at the right time of year, you're going to be snowbound. No. <laughs> and there's a, uh, and a Buffalo, uh, I wouldn't want to film in New York City, but uh, Buffalo has a downtown area that's very easy to film in that could mm-hmm. pass for any metropolitan city. Uh, they've got a little small towns outside that represents, you know, small town America. Yeah. And uh, and the, the just the cooperation and the people, and we've sort of developed sort of a base mm-hmm. of some actors and background players and a few crew people. We still generally fly in most of the people, but I mean, you know, I, I like filming there, and I'm going to go back. I think in February, and uh, do it again. However, the last Christmas movie I made was made in Los Angeles. Oh, it was okay. made, made in L.A. And uh, we've made them in mostly Palm Springs. We've done some in Palm Springs and Los Angeles and New York. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of go uh, where it just makes more sense and where the production company wants to go. Right. As far as then, and I mean, I could jump all around in this, but I know you brought this up the last time we spoke and you bring it up a lot in the book is outside of just getting to make movies, which is obviously a passion of yours, getting to work with some people that you probably never thought you'd get to work with, Chevy Chase, George Went, these classic actors, classic TV, classic movie actors who are still wanting to work or finding a new life in movies like this. I'm sure that's pretty exciting. Well, you know, you don't, you know, I always used to laugh. I mean, it's probably true. I said, I would never, no guy would ever be caught watching one of these movies if his girlfriend or wife wasn't. (laughs) But it's one of those type of films that there's just nothing objectionable happens in them. So now it's a matter of money and schedule. Uh, People are going to come and go, oh, I don't like the material because the material is wholesome and and it's clean and uh, it's fun. I mean, I've, I've been 
I've been pretty jazzed with some of the casts that have been put together. Mostly these things are done without me. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I, I generally get told who's going to be in the movie, but I, I had George Hamilton yeah, and Shelley Long. Uh, I've had, uh, 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 what's that guy's name? Ian uh, uh, Ion Zering. Uh, oh, Tom Ian Zerling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Tom Arnold. And, um, you know, recently William Baldwin, Tom Schneider, or John, John Schneider. John Schneider. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we get, you know, we've we've had, uh, oh, God, Marla Gibbs from the Jeffersons, which right. was one of my favorites, and Tim Reed from WKRP, WKRP. and Howard Hessman, Howard Hessman from WKRP, Morgan Fairchild, yeah. Chevy Chase, some great casts, mm -hmm. great, some some great people to work with, and um, and uh, I've certainly I've certainly enjoyed. It. I'm always excited to see who will be the next person in yeah. one of these. Movies. Yeah. What was George Hamilton like? I hear he's a great storyteller. George Hamilton was an incredible person. Uh, he ate with the cast and crew. He mm -hmm. didn't take his food to his trailer. He would go sit down with the grips and wow. all that. So you did have a chance to talk to him. And we were talking about, I uh, probably can't remember them all right now, but how many iconic characters he had played. He played so Dracula. Many. He played Zorro. Zorro. <laughs> played Hank Williams. He played Evil Knievel. Oh, and I think, right. played, um, I think he played uh, William Randolph Hearst. And I'm probably missing someone in there, but mm -hmm. you know that's a that's pretty iconic. That's yeah. that's pretty. And he was a he was a wonderful person. He was very 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 easy to get on with, uh, as as are most of these most of these people are very easy to get on with. Yeah, he's one I've been chasing a little bit for this podcast. I'd love to talk to him. He's just I as you say, he's been in so much and done so much. I was amazed. Uh, you know, we have a we have a DVD and Blu-ray company. And yeah, we retro out, media. Right, we put out Route sixty six, the uh, Halloween yeah. version. Karloff on that. Uh, was it, that one? That one was Karloff, Peter Laurie, and Lon Chaney Jr. Yes. I think. Yeah, yeah. They played all their monsters, but on the disc, we put two episodes of Karloff's TV series called The Veil. Yes, which a precursor to Karloff's movie, uh, series Thriller, mm -hmm. and I was stunned that George Hamilton was in. <laughs> Uh, the Veil with Boris Karloff. I wow. would have asked him a million questions if I had only, <laughs> only known then what I know today. But we right. also had Jerry Lacey in that movie from Dark Shadows. Yeah. And Reverend Trask, who became, we've all become friends and we've made three or four shows with Jerry. So, Great. Very yeah. cool. Why not? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> These are on all the time. I saw uh, All I Want for Christmas with Tom Arnold mm -hmm. was uh, was playing on television uh, last night. Yeah. Now, um, you know, if you uh, if you have direct TV and you just type in my name, most of these are on demand. You can hit you can hit the button and watch them any time of year, mm -hmm. which I find truly amazing. It's Christmas it's Christmas every day. How does that feel? I mean, do you ever do that? Do you ever just take a look and and see where you're playing and it, or has it gotten become become more of a novelty to you now? Well, I don't really watch my own work because by the time I'm done with the film, I've seen it so many times yeah. in such <laughs> detail. Uh, I will generally watch it the very first night it premieres on television mm -hmm. because I want to see what the promos, the little trailers leading up to look yeah. like. And, um, and I do self-TiVo uh, uh, myself on DirecTV. Not that I watch the films, but then I'm on the lookout 
for something that maybe I made years ago that has not been released in a long time that might be like Commando Squad mm -hmm. might be coming up. And there are movies that I own like Super Shark that I do watch to make sure that the people I've licensed the film to are sticking to their contracts. Yeah. So I'm looking for piracy as well. Yeah. And if you've got a new girlfriend, it never hurts to have a little little direct TV folder of your movies that you can show her. Right. Uh, whatever you think the best one is. And uh, it helps, trust me, really. Yeah. You don't end up with four sons for no good reason. <laughs> Yeah, um, are you a fan of Christmas yourself? Just the holiday? Oh yeah, I do. Uh, I yeah. put my tree up. Um, we used to do a live tree when the boys were little, mm -hmm. uh, but it just became such a drag on the needles. And then I've seen one of them catch on fire, and how That's fast exciting. it was like a torch. Well, it was outdoors, thank God. Yeah. But uh, we had a tree that was so tall one time uh, it, it passed the rail of the second story of the house. And had to tie a rope up there at the top to keep it from accidentally. <laughs> so now I have a beautiful artificial tree and I put it up a little bit after Thanksgiving and I take mm -hmm. it down after the first of the year. Nice. And I uh, know, and I like it. I like daylight savings time. I like it when it gets dark around five o'clock or so. Yeah. You know, in the heat of summer, you're goofing off. And the next thing you realize it's nine o'clock is almost time for bed. And you yeah. haven't done anything in, in <laughs> I like it to get dark early and I love yeah. Halloween and I like Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'm a holiday holiday guy. And I used to say, because I'm a filmmaker, I don't work nine to five. Mm -hmm. So a three day weekend means nothing to me. Right. I'm off most days. And I'm I, most of the days I do what I want. If I want to write, I'll write. If I want to work on a little side video project, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. But to, to, to stick it to the man uh, on a three-day weekend, there's nobody to pay me uh, for a free day off. So most most of these little uh, three-day weekend things don't mean anything to me. But the, I like the I like the I like the big the big major holidays. I yeah. do enjoy. It. Yeah. Do you think there's a market uh, for these uh, of the producers of these kinds of films for other holidays? Are they looking at doing a, hol a Halloween rom-com, <laughs> a Thanksgiving rom-com? You know, people have asked me a million times, and I'm, I'm not kidding, why there, are, there aren't Thanksgiving movies. First of all, Thanksgiving, it's, it's not a time of romance. It's a time of families fighting it out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not not only not only that but if you think about it i have a brand new movie it's called a royal christmas on ice mm -hmm. it's a great american family it's it's a new sort of spinoff of hallmark channel and it premieres on november 5th which i think is a week from this saturday yes it is well where's the room for a thanksgiving movie if you're going to start premiering christmas movies on November 5th. Right. See, usually, it used to be, no, it used to be they would wait till uh, the weekend of Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then all your new films. And then I do have one on the November 27th. I have Dognapped, Pound for the Holiday, which is a Christmas mystery, which is one of the things I was trying to tell you. There's some new ripples going on out there. In awesome. Um, but A uh, Royal Christmas on Ice, which is, in my mind, a beautiful film. We shot in Buffalo earlier this year. It's an ice skating movie, and it's 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 very pretty to look upon. And it plays a week from this Saturday, and then it'll probably play all through the holidays. That's the thing about Christmas movies too; they don't 
they don't seem to age. They don't show their age. So consequently, 15, 16 of my Christmas movies are going to play three to four to five times each. So, I mean, there's a million Christmas movies out there. So I am stunned that all of my films from even 10 years ago or more are still playing over and over again. And when the licenses run out, another network will license them. So a film will start on Ion, then it'll be on Lifetime, <laughs> then it'll be on Up TV, then it'll be over here. And it just, they just, just, they just seem to go and go. Tubi has a ton of them on, on there too that you can watch for free. Yeah, Tubi is a great resource for a lot of that. What well, and also Halloween is not a warm and toasty uh, mm -hmm. romance. I mean, could you do it? Sure. But here's the thing. If you break the formula, it doesn't work. And the formula says no Thanksgiving, no, no, no Easter. Right. No, uh, no Halloween rom-coms. Although I'd be happy to do it. You know, I go where the paycheck is, brother. Right. <laughs> what What do you attribute the, the timelessness of Christmas films? Not just yours, but overall, because you're right. There is that universality. I mean, it's a wonderful life as has had a life for what close to 80 years now what do you think that's about everybody wants to be happy who doesn't want to be happy and and if you do your film right you can transfer some sense of happiness or amusement or warmth or caring to a person watching it in their home mm -hmm. and a lot of times I'll, I'll look at these scenes and i say you know what this is a scene that someone might actually be doing while they're watching your movie. People making cookies, mm -hmm. you know, people getting stuff out of the oven, you know, some sort of, you know, st stuffing stockings, uh, wrapping gifts. They might be wrapping gifts at, while your movie plays in the background. And I think there's something, uh, there's something about Christmas that, uh, that, motivates people they're a little more generous they're a little more polite they're perhaps a little kinder or they're lonely and some of these movies address these sort of things and for just like a horror film for a few moments of your day maybe well i, I made somebody smile that's pretty cool that's it's a, something to aspire to yeah you know i usually know when i'm writing uh, if I'm writing a script, I I know because I will feel emotional as I actually write it. I will feel emotional as I direct it, even though it's disconnected. I mean, right. there are some scenes I've done that I've almost teared up trying to just explain what I want. And I, if I feel that way, then I know that that's going to work. And then I'll screen it at the Limley Theater in Encino or someplace and you'll see all these people getting their hankies out and their tissues out. And you know, you, you've got them. And the execs will come up and they said, you got me three times. And I said, good, thank nice. you. Nice. Yeah, no, one of them recently after they finished uh, Royal Christmas on Ice, one of the executives said, he said, Fred, you have a talent for showing how people fall in love. It's very believable. And I thought, well, great, because everybody always says, Fred, we don't see when they're gonna fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> leave, leave leave it to me let me let me let me work on that myself I'll, I'll do it we talked about this a little bit the last time you were here and it's one of my absolute favorite things about you as i said then it's that I, I don't think there's a movie you wouldn't make it's if it's put in front of you 
And as you said, if they're handing you a paycheck too, that's help. But uh, there's really no genre specific to you. I, and I know that a lot of times you get lumped in with horror directors because you've made some iconic horror films. But looking at your IMDb alone, it's all over the place as you're making these. As a, as a filmmaker going in and grabbing the material, going through it, if you haven't written it, let's say, do you look for anything particular uh, that that catches you a hook that catches you to want to make this film you know there, there's usually more of a hook that makes me not want to do it and um, <laughs> no I'm not kidding uh, there are, I always said if I don't have a moral objection to the material then I will consider your show but there are things that I won't I won't film and I don't find them pleasant or acceptable to me and I veer away and stare away from those things. And I won't watch them either. Uh, but, you know, it's, I always used to say it was like a, being a plumber. You know, some yeah. days your, 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 your assignment takes you to Van Nuys, California. Some days it takes you to Beverly Hills. The two ends of the scale, but at the end of the day, you're still a plumber. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm a filmmaker. I tell a story with a camera. That's my job, to tell a story with a camera. And I thought I would only maybe make sci-fi and horror films when I was very young. And then immediately after I made two, I got offered Armed Response, an action film with a huge right. budget, Lee Van Cleef and David Carradine. And I'm like, well, I'm certainly not going to say no. I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to say no, I'm not going to do that. And I did that. Then all of a sudden everyone went, oh, this guy's a great action director. So then came Commando Squad and mm -hmm. this and this and that and that and Cyclone and and all of those. And, uh, you know, the way at the end of the day, see, I, I wanted to make this my living, which means I had to buy a house, pay the mortgage, raise children, cover health insurance, food, groceries, cars, insurance, all the things that go with it. I didn't want to do anything but be a director. And so to be a director, a working director, I had to accept that, that some days I was going to be making invisible mom and some days i was going to be making you know critical mass and then the giant ants and the glass trap and you know um but at the end of the day i approach each of these projects the same i'm a filmmaker i'm going to tell this story with a camera and there are certain things that no that i enjoy i enjoy shooting guns and blowing things up and i i did a steven seagal movie not long ago Mm -hmm. where we use all brass blanks. And I mean, 30 to 50,000 rounds of brass. The film wow. couldn't have been made. It couldn't have been made. People go, oh, why didn't you use um, CGI gum? You couldn't have done it. The CGI budget would have far exceeded. And also everything is different. So I'm not gonna get into all that. And I, I feel terrible that a terrible tragedy of the one terrible tragedy and over a hundred and so many years 130 years of filmmaking mm -hmm. now sort of uh, com compound the entire industry yeah you know it's, it's kind of a it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a, a shame for for sure yeah yeah but in a movie like that this has nothing to do with christmas movies but since you brought it up where you're dealing with um, I mean, that much pyro and munitions and you've got an armorer on set. Um, do, do you use the same armorer when you're doing that? 
or do you have somebody specifically you trust or do you have to bring in somebody from the union and hope for the best? No, um, you know, I've been in this business an awful long time. Uh, thank God I haven't worn out my welcome yet, but I've been using about the same gun guys for 20 some odd years. The guy's name is Mike Tristano mm -hmm. and um, Mike's a great armor. I am also a set armor. I'm, yeah. I am a licensed set armor because I didn't want to take one with me on a river rafting movie because it was up north and they were only going to fire the gun six times. And I said, I'm not paying somebody to come up there and do this when I could do it myself. So I went down and got live scanned fingerprint and all that stuff. And uh, so I do have my own armors permit. But uh, no, we usually use my somebody like Mike Tristano, somebody we know, somebody we trust and, and their guys. And uh, we're very careful. You know, there's always a chance of some little thing happening. The main thing that people have to think about in these gun movies is that if you've got a bunch of soldiers, those shells come out one side. So you want to make sure the guys are staggered so that no one is standing next to a guy. Who's the gonna, <laughs> and they're hot, too. They're yeah. hot. They're hot. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a I'm a left-hander and, and I've been hit right in the side of the head with an injecting shell that the gun I was firing kicked out. So I get it. <laughs> it <right>. could sting. <laughs> yeah, but it's pretty exciting. It's a pretty exciting uh, film to make something like that. I'm sure. Yeah. Sometimes it's an actor. I'm more excited about the fact that they've hired a certain actor. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually, you know, like I said, most of these Christmas movies lack lack the gunfights <laughs> that I'm that's using. what's missing <laughs> so i look for other things i look for things that will pull at your heartstrings yeah things that might make you reach for your hanky and i will write them in and um and the things that that will uh, affect people emotionally i think if you can move them mm -hmm. to feel incredibly sad and incredibly happy all within the same film i think you've done something Absolutely. And that was a hell of a segue back to the topic. Well done. <laughs> um, I We had Joe Castro here recently, and uh, he was talking about his first film, Teenage Exorcist, which you wrote and produced. And he, he brought up a few times just what a, a mentor you were to him on that and how much he owed to you and bring Stevens. Uh, uh, they're still good friends. Um, just talking about as a, he was very young at the time coming in and you talked to him as a peer. Um, and I've, I've heard that more than once about you, that if you're on a set with Fred Olin Ray, he's going to build you up rather than knock you down. And it shows also on your social media, you'll show little, um, just kind of behind the scenes, how you'll use a miniature to, sure to fake a, a perspective of large and, and things like that. Is that coming not only from your heart, but also just because you love movie making so much? Well, you know, and I will say that I think Evil Tunes was made before Teenage Exorcist. Was it? And okay. It shows up. He was the guy. He was the guy on uh, Evil Tunes. Um, although I own both of those movies and I have yeah. put them both on Blu-ray for those of you who are interested. Retro media. Um, yeah. Well, if you look at my official page, most of the posts aren't really about me. I'm not into self-promoting. I don't need it. I've always liked to tell people that the only place I want to see my name in print is on a check. <laughs> I don't 
people go, oh, well, uh, don't you want the, it's good promotion. I don't need promotion. The people that hire me don't watch Facebook. They don't follow me on Instagram. They don't read Fangoria or anything else. The people that hire me, they look at the bottom line. If you want to get hired in this business, make a movie that makes money for the people who gave you the budget. And, uh, you know, so most of most of the things on the official Fred Olin Ray Facebook page are just things that I've seen that I find amusing mm -hmm. uh, that I would just want to share. It could be a photo from Son of Dracula. Who knows? But it's I don't sit there and use these platforms to promote myself. Yeah, uh, because it's your what's the purpose in it? Mm -hmm. You know, most of the people always come up to me and I just came back from Spooky Empire and they said, gee, I hope. Hope you go back to making films. And I said, I, I said, I've never stopped. I make three films a year. I said, you're just watching the wrong channel. You know, although I did, I did take a weird vacation and make Piranha Women for Charlie Band earlier this year. So yeah. I, I did three shows this year and last year. I can't remember, but I, I moved to Florida last year, but I did make Killer in My Backyard for yeah. a lifetime last year. I think I don't. They they become a blur. I'm sure. But, um, I see myself as just another crew member. I happen to have a different job than everyone else does, but I see myself as a crew member. Mm -hmm. I don't take advantage. And people will tell you that if it's freezing cold outside and they build a tent with a heater in it for the actors, mm -hmm. they'll say, "Hey, Fred, do you want to go in that tent?" between takes you know where the actors are you want to sit in that suv there's the car the engine running and i tell them i can't i can't do it if those guys working for me can't go i can't go yeah and i'll, I'll stand in the rain i'll you know i'll stand in a blizzard i have done it and uh i will do it because i'm no better than anybody else i just have a different job and i mean my job is to tell people what i want them to do um you know what I'm saying? But I, mm -hmm. I try to, I, I would probably be considered sarcastic. I have a very sarcastic sense of humor. And uh, I try to explain to most people that it's very rare that I'm actually angry. I act angry a lot. I said, but there's only a few instances where I'm not goofing on people. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them is if I throw my script, if I throw my script at you, I'm goofing. If I throw my script down on the ground, my sides, because I don't work from script, I work from sides, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I take those sides and I throw them on the ground, I'm mad. <laughs> you'll, you'll rarely ever see that. Good. Because it's not about, it's like, who cares whose fault it is? You know, what we really need to know is what do we do now? Right. Because we have a limited amount of time and you're not supposed to go over schedule and you're sure not supposed to go over budget. If some disaster strikes, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. And I just I just had a, a very strange thing happen on Dognapped where a woman wearing hair rollers and her, uh, pajamas and a robe. She's in bed and she's thinking, oh, I need to steal something from somebody. And so she goes downstairs and she comes in and she steals this person's ideas from a notebook. And so we did the bedroom stuff earlier in the shoot, hair rollers and all that stuff. Now it's the last day of the shoot. It's the second to last shot of the day on the last day. They come up and they go, Fred, we don't have the hair curlers. You don't have the hair curlers. No. And we don't have the pajamas. You don't have the hair curlers or the pajamas for the actress. That's right. Well, how does something like this happen? Oh, well, we let her wear our own clothes. You've got to bring them back.
Uh, I don't. I don't want to get into the whole thing that if you let an actor wear their own clothes in the movie, you're supposed to take them from them at the end of the day, right. laundry them, clean them up for tomorrow. You don't let them wear them home. Right now, you let an actor control the narrative. But it's like, okay, this is a big story point that she steals this girl's ideas. What do you do? So you think as fast as you can. It doesn't. It doesn't help to yell at people. Uh, it, it doesn't. There's no. There's no solution to that. So we decided to do a handheld camera as it came through the room and came up on the notebook and the girl's hand she came Michael in. Myers did. And she, <laughs> and, she, and she photographed, the hand photographed the, the, the notebook and then closed it again and backed away. I mean, it's all I could think to do. Sure. But it's not, it, it would do me no good at all to get upset with the wardrobe people or the makeup people or the actress or anything like that. What you really want to know is, okay, that's the problem. What do we do now? And then if you want to get into it with somebody, get 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 into it at the end of the day. Don't yeah. waste your time. Don't waste your time and energy getting upset now. Let's just go. You know, Does I it... always tell people, oh, help me help you. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm not on an hourly rate. I'm on a flat. If I had to work 20 hours, they wouldn't pay me another dime. Help me right. get you out of here today at a reasonable time. That's what everybody really wants. Yeah. You brought that up uh, as well the last time we talked in that you you try and keep it at an eight-hour day. You're in, you shoot. Not eight, done. not well, eight. Well, not eight, but you try and keep it on a pretty standard day. Well, you know, there, there are people who are paid to tell me what time it is. Seriously. <laughs> um, you know, there's breakfast at 6.30 mm -hmm. and then set call is 7 a.m. And uh, lunch is six hours after 7 a.m. So lunch is at one o'clock and they're pretty adamant about breaking at one o'clock unless something terrible has happened. And then it's it's 30 minutes after the last person goes through line. So that's about a 40 minute lunch. You're back in at about 140. Now, technically, people sign on for X amount of hours a day. It's in their contract. Mm -hmm. However, we take into account the fact that we either have to move all the equipment out of the house and back into a truck. Or we have to secure things and wrap them up and make them safe for the night if we're leaving stuff in the location. Mm -hmm. And they'll come and they say, Fred, to have everybody out by seven, the last person out by seven, which makes it sort of an 11 and a half hour day, mm -hmm. you need to be done at 6 p.m. So through the whole day, you, you time manage yourself trying to make sure that you're done at 6 p.m and or 6 20 or 5 30 or whatever it is if it's a big loadout so yeah no time time management is my thing it drives my family crazy i mean i i cook i cook a lot and uh i, I mean i'm i'm all on time i'm always on time if i'm if i'm if i'm not on time i'm a few minutes early i'm almost never late because it's one of those businesses on a set if you if you don't show up for breakfast at 6 30 and you go, well, I don't want breakfast. So I'm going to show up for a set call. Well, if you're five minutes after seven, it goes on the production report. Mm -hmm. You go on that production report two or three times, you're fired. Right. They don't take it. You don't want to. If you want her in 10, 15 minutes early, you probably won't even be back tomorrow. You probably won't get but one day to do that. Right. Uh, they're really, everybody got 30 people there. Their job is to get through. They're not there because they love the script. They, they're there because they need a job. And the job is to get done every day and get out of there and make your day. So don't be late. And I told my own kids, if you show up 10 minutes after seven, you will be fired after. If you do it two times, you're out. Everybody's out. It doesn't matter who you are. <laughs> they're very serious. No, they're very no, serious. Sure. I'm sure it is. They're very serious about this. <laughs>
Did uh, so speaking of your kids, Chris is uh, working in production now. Was did he work with you on this one, or has he just gone off on his own completely now? No, him and I did. Um, uh, we did them all. We did them all this year. We did World Christmas on Ice. We did Piranha Women together, and we did um, Dog Napped. In nice. fact, that's Chris's dog. The dog that gets napped <laughs> is Chris's dog Falcor, who's one of my favorite pals. He's he's, a, he's just a wonderful little actor. He was also in the Chevy Chase movie. Yeah, and okay. he's a little white, uh, whatever he is. And uh, if you see a little white, whatever it is, it also he's also in Christmas in Royal Fashion. Little Falcor has a, quite a resume. Cool, <laughs> as dogs go. <laughs> That's just I. We talked about it last time too. Just uh, how awesome it is that you're getting to work with your son. It's become kind of a family thing for you. I'm sure that's great, and it's got to feel good to be able to pass some knowledge down. Well, you know, he directs his own shows as well. He's mm -hmm. directing right now. He's off in uh, Buffalo somewhere doing an action film. Um, I think for Shout Factory. I think oh, you cool. might that. Yeah, I didn't know they did for a production, <laughs> I but I guess think they're, they're, they're just are. starting. They're just starting. Yeah. Too. So he's doing uh he's doing uh his own thing, but if he's not, he's a great line producer and a unit production manager. And um you know, if you can work with your your own family, why not? Who who has your back better than your own family? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about the book. I don't want to keep you too long, um, but I wanted to make sure we could pimp this for you a little bit. Oh, uh, well, why don't we tell people where they can get it? Where can they find writing? <laughs> where where perfect, can they find writing? The perfect Christmas TV movie. <laughs> well, we have, a, we have a website called retromediapress.com, mm -hmm. and you can see some of the upcoming books that we also have. Uh, there are also links on there to buy this book, but in a more direct fashion, you can buy this book on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Uh, okay. And um, this book was uh, number one Amazon bestseller for six weeks. And uh, we were stunned. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty awesome. I was, uh, I was delighted. I mean, I've written a few other books, as, mm -hmm. as you know, uh, New Poverty Row and some other things. But I'd never seen something go almost instantly to number one and hold its position for uh, any length of time. And uh, to be honest with you, there was um, there were some like uh, Facebook pages and stuff that I contribute to on uh, creative writing and things like that. And a lot of people would contact me outside of, you know, by sending me a message, wanting to talk to me on the telephone or wanting to engage me in a series of emails to tell them how they can crack this market. And I don't really have time to do that. I'm sure. a filmmaker with a DVD Blu-ray company and, uh, you know, things. And I'm, I'm not a young guy. I'm not. Uh, and I, and as, as some people know, I have my, I lost the use of my writing hand a few yeah. years ago. So typing and things are very, very difficult. So I thought, here's what I'll do. I'm going to put down a love letter to everybody who ever wanted to write their own Christmas TV movie script. And I'm going to tell them, and I say right up front that this isn't the where all or the end all, and it doesn't speak for everyone. This is only my opinion based on the films I have made. Mm -hmm. And I have not read anyone else's book on how to write holiday movies or women's thrillers or whatever. 
again, I didn't want to be influenced. I didn't want to copy their format subconsciously, sure. unconsciously, whatever. So, but I will say this, and I do mean this sincerely. If you don't come away with a completed screenplay after reading this book, you're not trying hard enough. And that's the truth. Because I sat down here, I almost did it. I almost did it, but I thought, you know, Fred, you're just asking for trouble. I almost sat down and showed people how to go through this book and pick this element, add it to this element, this element, this element, everything that's outlined. And then you will, in, at the end of that moment, you will have a story. Mm -hmm. You'll have a story because all the elements that people like or want or, or, or feel are, are in here and they, it tells you why. And you, a person really with no story ideas at all could easily go through here and go, oh, that's how the heroine should be. I'm, I'm, this is my heroine and this, this is the guy she wants to. And this is why she's where she is in life. And, and you could put it together quite easily. But then I was afraid I would come up with a great plot for a movie and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the wherewithal to get the, <laughs> to get the character. Thought, ah, don't, don't give away too, too much, but um, a Royal Christmas on Ice what we do do it here is we show how television is broken down in anywhere from eight to nine, maybe 10 acts sometimes, depending on how people want to break the commercials. And you, and it helps you in writing to know what the eight act structure is and how it's supposed to work. So what we did is we took a bunch of the movies that had different themes mm -hmm. and we broke them down into their eight acts so that you could see what happens in a yeah. Royal Christmas Nice, which plays a week from this Saturday on Great American Family. There, there is the eight act breakdown in this book. So you could get this book, read that eight act breakdown, then watch the movie and see how all of this in principle played out. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm happy. Just I'm just getting to that chapter. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with it. Well, you know what it is, it just simply shows you. And of course, it's up to the network to put the commercial breaks where they want. But as you yeah. write it, here's where they're supposed to be. The first one's supposed to be no more than 18 to 22 pages, the first act, because that's the act that hooks the viewer. Mm -hmm. No commercials for 20 minutes. Then it's commercials every 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And and you know and how you want, at the end of every 10 pages there, you want something important to happen that makes you want to see what happens next. And then right. at the top of the hour, you have your biggest biggest cliffhanger because that's when people are most likely to change the channel and it's just all there for you and it's very simple as you said i have kind of i'm kind of a wise ass and i put that into my writing and i, I it's unapologetic i'm writing a historical uh factual book about the the florida uh, frontier and again i'm giving it the fred ray treatment so that you don't have a dry bragging book yeah. of, of dates and uh, statistics. <laughs> well, I'm a fan. And I would say if, if you're just interested in filmmaking in general, this is, yeah, it's granted it's specific to a holiday and a specific genre. But as far as filmmaking goes, there's a lot of great tips in this. Uh, as you talk about the eight act breakdown for a TV movie is pretty standard across the board. Everybody's got to meet kind of that same criteria. So it's it's a very useful book overall for filmmakers. Well, and we talk about pitching, mm -hmm. you know, how to, how to pitch an idea. And there's a million ways to pitch an idea, but I, I put down how I would do it yeah, and how fluid you have to be. 
And the minute some uh, producer comes up with an idea of his own, you need to fluidly move that into your pitch before it's over. He will be totally on board mm -hmm. thinking that most of these great ideas are his own. <laughs> <You know? laughs> As we talked about a, a movie that wasn't a Christmas movie, uh, I was shown a bunch of stock footage from a movie called Rattled with William Catt, a TV movie about rattlesnakes. Okay. And Universal called me and said, Fred, we just got this footage, stock footage. Would you like to look at it? Because I was a big purchaser of stock footage from Universal. Mm -hmm. So I got the footage. I watched the footage. I got an appointment. I went down and I said, I have an idea for a rattlesnake movie. And look at this. I have all this stock footage. We hardly even need a snake. We can just make it all around this footage. Um, and this is what I'm thinking. And they, they, the, the exec said, well, you know, it would probably be pretty cool if it was just like outbreak, but with rattlesnakes instead of monkeys, you know, virus carrying rattlesnakes. I said, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> and they went, they went, yeah, yeah. And maybe there'd be some military stuff and they closed the town down. I said, yes, that's it. That was exactly what we were talking about. And, and you know what though? I took me 20 minutes and I left with $1.3 million. Nice. That's a pitch. Yep. And I don't, I don't commit too much to paper because you've got to be ready to change the pitch as you hear what they're interested in. You need to incorporate there. So don't get too rigid and don't try to convince them that they're wrong and you're right. You know, unless you want to just mortgage your own house and, and fund right. your own. Movie. But as I said in my book, I don't recommend it. Right. <laughs> So how's everything else going for you? Are you still doing stand-up occasionally down there? Not since I got to Florida. Too many of the clubs and stuff are closed. Uh, they are starting to come. They are starting to come come back um, a little bit. The one thing I've done since I've come back, because, you know, I'm from this area. Yes. I moved from this area to Los Angeles 45 years ago. And in 45 years later, without even visiting this town in 45 years, I packed up and moved back here. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at I looked up a, a home online. I had a realtor do a walkthrough with their phone, and I rented it sight unseen, basically, and just moved. <laughs> and I have done a lot more um, uh, horror and sci-fi convention appearances because mm -hmm. a lot of them are on the east uh, east coast. Yeah, and uh, you know we've we've done Spooky Empire, Monsterama in Atlanta. We've done Cinema Wasteland. We've done Tampa Screams. <laughs> We did Sinister Nights in Miami, so uh, I'm just having I'm having fun. I'm doing the the Blu-ray uh, thing, which is uh, a lot of fun. I'm I'm writing a lot and uh, still making two to three movies a, a year. Great. Well, great for me. I for one, I'm happy that you're doing that. Um, I I encourage everybody check out the book. Um, also check out the movies. I mean, come on, who's not a little sentimental around Christmas? I I unabashedly like a good cheesy Christmas movie, and have no problem watching it, even when my girlfriend's not here. So I encourage you all to. Well, do there's the, there's the thing with the ADAC breakdown. It's and all the movies that are there are broken down are either on Tubi or they're on television all Christmas long. Mm -hmm. It would be very interesting if you were interested in this sort of thing to read the breakdown right before you watch the movie and just keep the book open on that film and follow the breakdown because it explains to you why mm -hmm. this happened, why this happened here and, and what, what's expected as, as you go through these films. Uh, it doesn't, the book doesn't try to tell you how to be a screenwriter. It tells you how to write the perfect Christmas TV movie. Right. Exactly. 
That's a great name. is yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gave it the perfect title then too. Brad, thanks so much. Long. Yeah. Was... <laughs> a little lengthy, but yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. I'm so happy to talk to you again. I'd love to have you back sometime again, just for a regular interview and get you to tell more stories because I have a feeling you've got a lot more in you. So. Oh, if you send me a link to where people can look at this, I am a part of a holiday movie writing group. Okay. And I will share it there. And perhaps okay. some people there will uh, watch it and uh, get something useful Great. out of it. It's all well, about sharing. I'm planning on having this out Monday morning. So this will be a Halloween release. Great. Nothing says Christmas like Halloween. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. Have I'm a great surprised day. Surprised I don't have a movie you got premiering on Halloween, a Christmas movie. I'm a little I'm disappointed. A <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you for having you me. You bet. Talk to you later, Fred. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Fred Olin Ray, one of the few humans allowed to talk about Christmas on Halloween. Happy Halloween, you guys. We're the Walter Paisley Movie House. We hope you're giving out good candy tonight, not toothbrushes or pennies or Jack Chick comics, although Jack Chick comics are kind of fun. But give out candy, you guys, because if you don't, some of those trick-or-treaters are going to piss on your hospitality. That'll be on you. All right, guys, have a great Halloween. I hope it's spooky and fun and awesome and you watch some great movies tonight. Till next time.